In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Lord Jesus, in your presence in this time of prayer, we can reflect upon the importance of doing precisely this, finding times for quiet, times of solitude, times of silence, the importance of contemplative prayer, mental prayer, which leads us into silence, into a a kind of simplicity with our Lord, where we're just with Him and He's just with us, and we can really focus our souls entirely on Him. I was struck the other day when I was reading the the breviary, the Liturgy of the Hours of the Church, by a line from the prophet Isaiah. This is how it reads in Latin. In conversione et quiete salvi eritis, in silencio et in spe erit fortitudo vestra. In returning and stillness you will be saved. In silence and in hope you will find your strength. In turning and in stillness you will be saved. In silence and in hope you will find your strength. I have a friend who tells me not to read quotes in Latin because it makes me seem pretentious. And I told them, pretentious? Moi? But anyway, the um, the context is interesting. The prophet Isaiah is speaking on behalf of the Lord, rebuking Israel. And it's in the context of the events uh, in and surrounding the exodus of Israel from Egypt. And he's rebuking them because of their lack of trust in his intervention, their lack of trust in his power. So he's basically telling them, your strength and your salvation will come from being still, trusting me enough to be still, and letting me work. This is the, uh, this is the quote in context. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you would not. Rather, you said, no, we will speed upon horses. Therefore, you shall speed away. And you said, we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. And Lord Jesus, isn't it true that we often have the same mindset? If we have some problem, some situation we need to improve or get out of, instead of first going to you, being still in your presence, asking you for help, reminding ourselves of who you are for us and how much you love us, who we are for you. We're like the Israelites. No, give me a fast horse. Give me something that I can take control of and help me to work on this on my own. Give me a program, give me give me a prescription, give me a new technique, a new habit, give me a device, 
give me an app. Give me something that I can control and do on my own to get out of this situation. And perhaps God is telling us, no, with your deeper problem, with your lack of rectitude, with your lack of love and lack of trust, you need to be still. You need to put yourself in my presence in silence. And Lord, that itself is an act of trust because many of us, when we are quiet, immediately we start thinking about our problems. Immediately we start thinking about all the things that are bothering us. Immediately we start thinking about all of our worries and projects. And in that context, it's so natural for us to start thinking, well, how can I fix it? What can I do about it? What's the next step? And if we are confident that we can do something about those things, well, then we start thinking about what to do and how to plan it and how it's going to look or work. And if we're not, well, then maybe in silence we just get sad and despair and it reminds us of the problems that seem insoluble to us. But either way, Lord, to really be in silence with you, not to think about anything but you, to put our full attention on you, is an act of trust because it means I have to turn off my problem-solving mind or I have to turn off my despairing mind. In order to see you, Lord, as you are, as my true salvation, you're the one who's going to help me in anything I have to do, anything I have to worry about, you're the one who's going to help me. It's like that line from the Psalm, Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. In returning and stillness. You will be saved in silence and in hope, right? the expectation of God's help. You will find your strength. But that stillness is an accomplishment. It's a task. We have to find time for it. We have to find a time that's quiet, a place that's quiet. We have to eliminate distractions. And then once there, we have to have that second task of fostering interior silence, interior recollection. And this is so important for prayer. The Catechism calls it composure of heart. And that that word recollection is very evocative, to collect ourselves, to put ourselves together, to take all the disparate worries and distractions and, and to corral them and to calm them down so that we can be fully present for God. Composure of heart. This is the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 2699. The Lord leads all persons by paths and in ways pleasing to Him. And each believer responds according to his heart's resolve and the personal experiences of his prayer. However, so even though, in a way, Lord, my prayer is uniquely mine because I'm the only me that there is with all of my personal history and with my particular personality. And so your relationship with me is unique to me, and so therefore my prayer life is going to be unique to me. But at the same time, we have the same nature, and you're the same person, Lord. And so in a way, prayer is going to have certain general characteristics or features or paths that are common to everyone. However, Christian tradition has retained three major expressions of prayer, vocal, meditative, and contemplative. 
they have one basic trait in common, composure of heart. This vigilance in keeping the word and dwelling in the presence of God makes these three expressions intense times in the life of prayer. So whether we're praying vocal prayers, our Father, the Hail Mary, the Glory Be, the Rosary, those other vocal prayers we know, or whether in silence we're meditating, which is to use our thought to mull over some mystery, some teaching of our Lord, or to use our imagination to imagine ourselves in some scene of the gospel, to be there with Jesus and his disciples in the gospel, or whether we are using what's called contemplative prayer, more of a prayer of silence. We'll we'll get into this later. The Catechism says, they all have one basic trait in common, composure of heart, that we're able to be still, that we're able to recollect ourselves, that we're able to be, in a certain sense, unified, so that we can focus everything on God. And to try to do this, Lord, as we said before, is to trust you, is not to take control of our worries, at least for a time, at least for a space in which we let God take care of those things so that we can think about him and what he might want and what he's like and what his concerns are. Lord Jesus, you tell us in the gospel that the greatest commandment is, Hear, O Israel, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And mental prayer, specifically contemplative prayer, is a wonderful opportunity to do this. Where else, Lord, can I so directly try to love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my mind? Where else can I do this more directly than when I sit down and just try to think about you and that's it? Not think about anything else but God. And our will, St. Thomas Aquinas teaches, our will is an spiritual appetite, an intellectual desire, which means that we can't love what we don't think about. We can't love what we don't know. We can't love what we don't reflect on. The will can't respond to anything with love that the mind doesn't have or at least offer to it in reflection. And so our ability to love God directly in himself will depend on the degree to which we think about God. We sit down and don't think about anything else, put ourselves in his presence. Lord, give me the grace to do this. Help me to find where you are, to sit in your presence silently. I know a priest who was a chaplain at a boys' school, and one day he came into the into the chapel and there was a little boy sitting in his chair, in the priest's chair, in the sanctuary of the chapel and not in the pews, which were further back. And he was there, um, he was like a third grader, third or fourth grader, in this big chair and he's swinging his feet and he's looking at the tabernacle, of course, which he was a lot closer to being in the sanctuary, being in the in the chair of the priest. And so the priest came in and found this kind of unusual. And so he walked up into the sanctuary, genuflected, and turned to the boy and said, Hey, what are you doing up here in my seat? Why are you up here? 
And the boy said to the priest in a whisper, he said, I can't hear him from back there. Lord, we need to get close to you. And we need to whisper. We need to be silent. We can't hear you from back there. Maybe it's not physical for us. Although, perhaps we could get closer to the tabernacle too. Go to church, do our prayer. But rather, Lord, perhaps I'm like way back behind behind all my thoughts, behind all my worries, behind all my concerns, and I let them get in the way of you. And like the Israelites, I say, hey, give me a fast horse. Give me a faster horse. You want to save me in quiet and in stillness and in trust in you. And like the Israelites, you have to say to me, but you would not. You make me this offer in quiet and in conversion and in silence and in hope you will be saved. But you would not want it that way, Isaiah says to to the holy people. And Lord, perhaps I'm saying the same thing in the way of me and you, in the way of you're helping me, is my own control and my own mental pollution and my own brain fog and my own distractions. And so I have to get closer to you like that little boy to cut through those things, to find a shortcut to put those things aside, to put them into your hands. I mean, sometimes they're real problems. I'm not saying that there aren't real concerns and worries. We have to put them in his hands so we can experience God in our prayer. We return to the Catechism, point 2717. Contemplative prayer is silence, the symbol of the world to come, or silent love. Words in this kind of prayer are not speeches. They are like kindling that feeds the fire of love. In this silence, unbearable to the outer man, the Father speaks to us his incarnate word, who suffered, died, and rose. How beautiful that is, Lord, to consider that when we're quiet, God the Father speaks to us. And what word does he tell us? He tells us the word, Lord, that is you, the word that is his son, the word that is his son who became one of us and is so close to us in the Eucharist and in our prayer. In this silence, the spirit of adoption enables us to share in the prayer of Jesus. As St. Paul tells us in Romans that He sends us the spirit of adoption by which we can cry, Abba, Father. And the Catechism says, this happens in silence when we're quiet. God the Father speaks the word of his Son. When we're quiet, the Holy Spirit speaks the word of our own sonship, our own adoption into, into God's fatherhood. But we see here once again that this is an accomplishment. Why is it, why is it an accomplishment? Because it's unbearable to the outer man. What is that outer man? Well, I think there's many ways of thinking about this. What is it in us that doesn't want to be quiet, that doesn't want to be silent in God's presence? Well, it's the busy self. It's the distracted self. It's the worried self. It's the vain self. It's the hyper-responsible self. It's the one that needs to do, 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 and think, 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 and 
ruminate and worry. And why? Well, this happens for different reasons, different people, but a little bit, I think those those false selves or those extensions of ourself, they don't want to be silent because they're threatened by it. They realize that if they're quiet, God will call their bluff. And we realize that if we're quiet, we might be called to a, a more radical conversion, a more radical change than perhaps we're willing to undergo. To be in God's presence simply is also, Lord, to see the difference between your simplicity and your goodness and your purity of intention and my own meanness and my own <laughs> lack of trust and all my other vices that just are lit up by your goodness when I simply and sincerely put my life and my soul and my habits in front of you. This, of course, is the heart of our Lord's advice to Martha. The heart of his advice is that she be quiet. Right? Perhaps externally quiet, but also internally quiet. That she be more like Mary, who's silent at her Lord's feet, looking at him. It's a famous scene from Luke chapter 10. A woman named Martha received him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you were anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part, which shall not be taken away from her. Lord, in a certain way, we all feel sorry for Martha, and we all are Martha. And our Lord wants us to be Martha. <laughs> we've got things on our mind. We've got responsibilities. We have concerns. We're in the middle of the world. And so, in a way, Martha is a good example for us. What should we do with those worries and anxieties and concerns, disappointments? Well, go to him. Talk to him about it. At least she's praying. Right? She's not being passive-aggressive. She's not being rebellious. She goes to her Lord and, and speaks her mind as it is. But when she does that, what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, oh yeah, uh, hey Mary, get busy. He says, no Martha, you need to be more like Mary. It's not that you're going to stop working or, or stop preparing meals. But in addition to that, and perhaps even more importantly, while you're doing that, you need to have her spirit. In addition to getting things done, and being responsible. You need to sit at my feet. At least every once in a while. And listen to me. And we see how receptive that is. How silent that is. What our Lord says is the better part. The attitude of, of Mary. The sister of Martha. Is something silent. Receptive. Right? She's sitting. And listening. Sitting is a is a kind of defenseless posture. She's probably sitting on the floor with her legs crossed, looking up at him. So she puts herself in a in a kind of defenseless, passive posture, and her soul is quiet. She's listening. She's not talking. She's not asking questions. And this is a, this is a great parable of our own prayer that we have to move from 
being Martha, which is a good first step. Lord, this is, you know, these are my problems. These are my concerns. These are my worries. Bring them to him. And then to listen to his answer. And his answer is going to be the same as it is to Martha. He's going to say, okay, I get it, but sit and listen to me. Just be with me. This is the most important thing. This is the thing you should be worried about. Those other things will fall in line. You can take care of them. I'll help you do it too. But don't miss the don't miss the one thing necessary. Don't miss the silence with me. Don't miss looking up into my face and trying to listen to my words. But how do we practice this prayer of silence? Right? What do I what do I actually do? Well, I think one way of of getting into it could be starting your prayer as usual, your mental prayer as usual, with an act of the presence of God. Right, like the one we say here, my Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here. And then maybe just picking like one word or one phrase that you want to get into so that all of your thought and all of your will and feeling can kind of be focused just on one word or one phrase. It could be something like, God is love. And then just repeat that slowly to yourself trying to savor its meaning and use it as a means of trying to connect with God, lifting up your heart and your mind and your soul beyond this world to be with God. God is love. God is love. And then pause more between each each phrase so that it's silent, so that it sinks in, so that the meaning stays with us and the object of our of our intention or reference stays with us namely god and and what he is who he is love but the words fall away god is love god is love or you can go even simpler and just say god god or just love love and you could just say it once, maybe, and go for a long time, just sitting in that reality of God or of love or of their connection. And there's so many things we can do this with. And as we, as we practice it and ask for the grace to do it well, we can do it more and more quietly, more and more silently, just simply fixing our attention on what's, on what's true and beyond us. God's nature what he's like in himself, the infinite nature of all of his attributes. A wonderful way to pray. Lord, teach us to pray with this contemplative prayer of silence. And as the summer comes to an end and many of our lives get more busy in one way or another, business ramps up again or school starts once again, or you have to, in addition to working, you have to bring your kids to school or your summer vacation ends. Well, we have to be careful um, that we don't fall into activism, that we don't fall into a spirit of just getting lots of things done and relying on ourselves, that we balance it with times of prayer. And Lord, I think we can all find time for prayer. If we think about how much time we waste on social media or anti-social media as the case may be, 
or some video or my favorite website or my favorite games or my favorite TV shows. We all realize, Lord, that that we can find time. I can find 20 minutes, 30 minutes, once a day, twice a day to do some mental prayer, to meditate, and also especially to contemplate, to be quiet, to look, to gaze, to receive, to be still in his presence, to remind you, Lord, hey, look, you're the one who told Martha, who when she was very busy, to uh, not worry so much and to be more like Mary. Well, that's what I'm trying to do. So you have to help me with these other things. Or to remind our Lord, hey, look, you told the Israelites through Isaiah that they'll be saved with silence and by trusting in you and by being still. Well, look, that's what I'm trying, that's what I'm trying to do too. So help me, Lord. And if not, if we don't take time to gaze and receive from God his love, we're going to get burnt out. Even if we have good intentions and we're doing very good things, and perhaps especially if we have good intentions and we're doing very good things. If we don't fill up on God's love and God's grace in the sacraments and in our mental prayer, we're going to burn out because we're, because we're just trying to ride those fast horses and the horses aren't fast enough to get away from the problems of the world or from our own problems. This is Pope Benedict in his beautiful encyclical Deus Caritas Est, his first encyclical. Man cannot live by oblative, descending love alone. So we can't just give, we can't just give, we can't just give. We have to receive. He cannot always give, he must also receive. Anyone who wishes to give love must also receive love as a gift. Certainly, as the Lord tells us, one can become a source from which rivers of living water flow. Yet to become such a source, one must constantly drink anew from the original source, which is Jesus Christ, from whose pierced heart flows the love of God. What a beautiful promise, a beautiful ideal that we should shoot for. Lord, I would like to become a source from which rivers of living water flow. But to do this, I need to drink from the source, and that happens in my prayer life. When we consider the immensity of others' needs, we can, on the one hand, be driven towards an ideology that would aim at doing what God's governance of the world apparently cannot, fully resolving every problem. This is the ideological activist, perhaps what we can call the social activist, right? looking at the world and trying to fix it just with a theory, without reference to God, and often without respect to human nature or the rights of others. Or we can be tempted to give into inertia, since it would seem that in any event nothing can be accomplished. And so we see how messed up the world is, how big people's problems are. On the one hand, we might give into trying to fix it with an idea and with kind of brute force, <laughs> brute political force or propaganda or whatever. Or we can kind of give into a kind of despair. Well, what can I do? At such times, a living relationship with Christ is decisive if we are to keep on the right path without falling into an arrogant contempt for man, something not only unconstructive, but actually destructive, or surrendering to a resignation which would prevent us from being guided by love in the service of others. And so without the relationship with Christ, without prayer, we can't help the world. We'll either hurt it through a false ideology, 
or will give up on it through despair. Prayer, as a means of drawing ever new strength from Christ, is concretely and urgently needed. People who pray are not wasting their time. People who pray are not wasting their time, even though the situation appears desperate and seems to call for action alone. Piety does not undermine the struggle against the poverty of our neighbors, however extreme. In the example of Blessed Teresa of Calcutta, we have a clear illustration of the fact that time devoted to God in prayer not only does not detract from effective and loving service to our neighbor, but is in fact the inexhaustible source of that love. She wrote a letter to her co-workers, who are lay people, saying, We need this deep connection with God in our daily life. How can we attain it? By prayer. And what a wonderful example that is. I mean, who did more good to more people than than St. Teresa of Calcutta? Right? All those homes for unwed mothers or HIV victims or hospice centers, orphanages. I mean, so many things that she set up to help people in their in their need, right? in their material and also spiritual need. Who did more good for people? And yet at the same time, that's what the, the world sees that and is rightly impressed. There's someone who really tried to help people and did something about it. But what the world many times doesn't see is what her mornings were like. She would wake up very, very early and spend hours, hours in silent prayer in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And she would say, without that, I can't do these other things. I can't pe- pick people up off the street. I can't go raise money. I can't set up these houses without that time looking at our Lord. That's why I do it. And that's how I, that's how I get the strength to do it. And so in a way analogous to St. Teresa of Calcutta, we too will need our times of filling up, our times of looking at our Lord to receive his love so that we have something to give to the others. As another old Latin saying says, I'll continue my pretentiousness, Nemo dat quod non abet. No one can give what he does not have. We can't give what we don't have. And so if we want to give love and virtue and light and faith to others, we need to have it ourselves. And to have it ourselves, we need to receive it from God. What do you have, St. Paul says, that you have not received? And the answer is, not much, if anything at all, except our sins, maybe. What do you have that you not have not received? So if the receiver from God, we have to practice it, that way we'll grow in charity, grow in strength, grow in faith, and be able to pass it on to others, becoming rivers of flowing water that others can drink from. We go to Our Lady, Our Lady Mystical Rose. She knew how to do this. She knew how to silently contemplate God. She contemplated God before the incarnation in Scripture, in her own prayer, in her own heart. She contemplated God silently in her womb. She contemplated you, Lord Jesus, as God in her arms. When you were a baby, she contemplated you growing up and working. She contemplated you in your public life, preaching and healing. She contemplated you at the foot of the cross. She contemplated you in the resurrection. She also, like us, contemplated you in the Eucharist. 
and then in her prayer. Our Lady, our Mother, help us to learn how to contemplate our Lord, to silently commune with Him, to be with Him, to be still and know that He is God, to experience what Isaiah says, in stillness, in silence, in trust in God and hope, we will have our salvation and our strength. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.